Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. You got a serious problem with uh, people being murdered in your city. Tonight, we're hearing from the victim's family. They aren't buying the officer's version of the story. You can let this drag out, you can help them cover it up, or you can listen to the family's demands, find out what actually happened, get the tapes released, and name the officer. Soon as you get close to being cracking the stratosphere for a little bit of success, there's somebody right there to put you back in your place. This is where you belong, boy. Police shootings of unarmed brown and black men have sparked protest here in California and across the nation. Oscar Grant, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Freddie Gray. On today's California Report magazine, we're going to visit a California suburb grappling with officer-involved shootings, asking for accountability, demanding answers. We're devoting our whole show today to reporting from KQED's Erica Cruz Guevara. She's a producer with The Bay, which is a podcast that's focused on telling stories from the Bay Area. Each episode focuses on one story, one conversation, one idea, and they're trying to widen the lens on what might seem like just a simple news headline. Hi there, Erica. Hi, Sasha. Your reporting for this three-part series focuses on police shootings in Vallejo, which is a suburb of about 120,000 people. It's on the waterfront in Solano County. People from outside the region might have heard of Vallejo. They might recognize it as home to a Six Flags amusement park. There used to be a big naval base there. Now there's a big Navy museum. But it's also where you grew up. I was born in Vallejo. My family owned a Filipino restaurant there before I was born. And I've always understood it as this place that lived in the shadows of much bigger neighboring cities like Oakland and San Francisco and Sacramento, just this commuter city that you just pass by on your way to those bigger cities. But there's actually a lot going on there. Um, It's one of the last affordable places to live in the Bay Area. And proportionally compared to these bigger cities is a place that has had a lot of police shootings. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get in there and and understand what was happening. And you spent a lot of time in Vallejo with families who had lost loved ones to police shootings. One of the families that you spent time with was Willie McCoy's family. Right. Yeah. Willie McCoy um, was shot by Vallejo police in February of this year. Um, He is uh, the victim of the most recent police shooting in Vallejo. And he was shot after he was found unconscious in a Taco Bell parking lot in Vallejo. And he was shot by six police officers 55 times. But to report on this story, I actually had to start in Oakland, where some of his family members live. Hi, David. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. 
David's a big guy, the kind who drives big rigs. That's what he does for work. He has a broom in his hand when he opens the door. He says he was trying to do some last-minute cleaning. Yeah, I was just trying to straighten up a little bit. Before oh, no. <laughs> We've all been there. Well, we can sit here. Okay. We can sit here, whatever. I sit on a couch facing the front room of the house. There's a sweater on the wall with Willie McCoy's face on it. Across the way is bedroom door, Willie McCoy's old bedroom. Willie lived here. The day before he Willie got killed, he was sleeping in this room right here. David, who I came to meet, is Willie's big cousin. When I first met David outside Vallejo City Hall in June, he told me he used to change Willie's diapers as a kid. You know, that big cousin. As I'm setting up my microphone, David tells me he takes Willie with him on those long drives he does for work. Yeah, I take little Willie with me every morning. Really? I got his little iron, I put it in my truck, and we ride by, and it's just, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because we ride by the Taco Bell. The Taco Bell, the one on Admiral Callahan Lane. It's closed now, but it's where Willie McCoy, who was just 20 years old, was shot 55 times by Vallejo police. David tells me he never stops at that spot. He just drives right by. Willie's death marked one of three recent police shootings that have reignited protest at Vallejo City Hall. Would you please stop? Locked out of their voices, silenced, the packed Vallejo City Council meeting ended abruptly tonight during public comment. Family members of people shot and killed by Vallejo police were attending that meeting and they were demanding justice, asking city lawmakers to bring in the state attorney general to investigate the police department's use of force policy. Since 2005, there have been 21 fatal shootings by Vallejo police. That's almost one per year in a city of about 122,000 people. From 2006 to 2008, there were none. But there were some bad years, like 2012. That's when Vallejo police killed six people in one year, the deadliest year of police shootings since 2005. Some say this time it feels different. It feels like more people are starting to pay attention. And that's in part because of families like David's, who have made their voices louder by showing up at City Hall with other families of people shot by police. Families who have coalesced with the backing of Oakland activists like Kat Brooks, civil rights attorneys like John Burris, and families of others killed by police in other cities. Oscar Grant's family from Oakland and Stefan Clark's in Sacramento. It's a resistance that's shaking things up in this old military town. A resistance that's starting to get buy-in not just from the families directly affected, but from Vallejoans, who are now starting to notice that outsiders are paying attention to their police department. Sir, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to address the city council about some of the new things that we found out, me and my family, about uh, what happened to uh, my little cousin, to, to little Willie. Willie's death has turned David into an activist. Uh, what happened to him wasn't uh, anybody who's seen that video and seen what went on, including this council, and knows that 55 shots, that's an enormous amount of shots for someone sleeping in a vehicle. And uh, it seems like that there's a big problem in Vallejo. Before Willie became the face and the name behind the latest protest chants against police violence, He was a rising young rapper who lost his parents at a very young age. 
Willie was about 11 years old when his dad died of cancer, David says, and Willie moved in with his mom in Vallejo. Then, just two months later, she died of breast cancer. Willie was raised by the village, by all the family in the whole, you know, and um, he had a good culture to him. You know, he was he had a warm heart, but he had a stern Spirit of, yeah, he was very, very, his convictions were very strong. William Harrison is Willie's great uncle, and he saw what Willie's trauma did to him after his parents' death. He stayed with his sister and in a group home, but he got in and out of a little bit of trouble. He'd get into trouble with friends at school, get into fights. Well, I think a lot of this was as a result that he felt he was that everybody, yeah, he was rebellious because he felt that everybody had left him at an early age. He felt abandoned. And that was his only way of striking out. Adolescents do that until you make certain changes and you make that, that, that transition. And so now Willie had started to transitionalize and grown into an adult and becoming a man. Mm-hmm. And, and he was doing it gracefully. Willie survived his trauma by making art. His family says he was going to Laney College in Oakland and was studying music. David and I are hunched over his iPhone. We're watching a music video he directed with Willie and his rap groups Forever Black Gods and Sauce Team. David explains it to me. The main character is this guy who's just trying to survive. And then one day, he's shot and killed. A case of mistaken identity. And the song was, was about everything that happened to Willie. It was about the crisis with the homelessness, systemic racism, police brutality, and also the black-on-black effect of, of having black-on-black crime. It came out really nice, but the scary part about it was that it was art imitating life. Art imitating life. In the video, someone delivers the bad news to the man's mom. Only thing different in how my life go in Willie's story was that couldn't nobody go home to Willie's mom and deliver the bad news because they were already gone. It's mom and his dad. Willie was a leader, you know. That's Damarie Cole, a.k.a. Boo Boo Main. He's Willie's nephew, and their two rap groups, Sauce Team and Forever Black Gods, would make music together. Willie was always writing when there was no beat, you know what I'm saying? He'd be writing in his car, and he'd have a full song already written out with no beat. I met Boo Boo on a day the rap group was supposed to have a rehearsal for an upcoming show, but no one else came. Like, I think about it every day, you know, driving to work, listening to the music sometimes. It's like I cry myself. I might not tell my family, but it hurts us all. You know what I'm saying? Because like he said, when Willie was there, we all was, was one. It was We all move as one. We not moving. He going on this detour. He going, no, we going to all get to the same destination and we all moving together as one, as a family. So when you lose a leader with somebody that's 
giving us that 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 extra motivation, you know, it's hard to continue. emergency. The night everything changed for Willie's friends and family started with this phone call. Hi, um, I work at the Taco Bell on Admiral Callahan. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I have a uh, person uh, unresponsive to car horn honks uh, in my drive-thru. Okay, what kind of car is it? It's a Mercedes-Benz. Vallejo police received this call at approximately 10.36 p.m. on February 9. It was from this Taco Bell employee. Vallejo police responded to check on the welfare of the driver. When police arrived, they say the driver was unresponsive with a gun on his lap. The driver was Willie McCoy. Gun, gun. Call it out. There's a gun in his lap. This is body camera footage from one of the six officers who surrounded Willie McCoy's car. And when you watch it, it's hard to see Willie because the officer's arm is stretched out with a gun in his hand pointing directly into the car. So it blocks your view. I'm going to bust that window. VPD released body camera footage from each of the six officers who were there. But it's the footage from the officer that's closest to the driver's side window that's the clearest and slowed down in the seconds before the shooting. But you still can't clearly see what's going on inside the car. You can tell Willie is starting to wake up. I can make out one part where it looks like he's scratching his arm. There's captioning at the bottom of the video that VPD added describing Willie's movements. Then a green arrow appears on the screen, pointing to the moment police say Willie McCoy reached with his left hand for a gun. Then within just a matter of seconds, police fire. 55 shots. We got the call for a little Willie, me and Pops. He was sitting there, I was right here. And I was like, man, he was like, what was going on? I said, man, they killed Willie. He said they saying that they killed Willie. When David got this call, he and his dad picked up relatives in Oakland and Berkeley and headed for Vallejo. We get there, it's cold, it's drizzling, and we out there. We mugging with the police and they out there in force and they got their line and we got our line. But it, to this point, we don't know whether it's Willie or one of the guys was in the car. David says Willie was the kind of guy who'd let anyone borrow his car if they needed it, especially family. But police weren't giving him much information. David said about eight officers were standing in a line in front of police tape, facing the family. We seen the police there. They were being very, very rude and, uh, un, you know, and t- insensitive to that we're the family and we're coming to see what's going on with our loved one. I couldn't confirm whether this actually happened or not. The police department hasn't agreed to a sit-down interview with me, and it's unlikely they'd answer questions specifically about this case. David's family is suing them. But anyway, David said an officer told the family he would only talk to one family member. One of Willie's brothers approached an officer. He said, well, who are you? He said, I'm his older brother. The only thing that he said, well, we can only tell you one thing, and that one thing that we can tell you is, is that we can't tell you anything. So we sat there until the tow truck came with 
to pull the vehicle away. And when we seen all of the bullets, it was confirmed. Willie was gone. Art imitates life. I said, no, it ain't nobody that shot him. They said the police shot him. And I looked at, and when he said that, I looked at my cousin, I said, cuz, they executed him. You're listening to the California Report magazine. Today we're devoting our whole show to reporting from Erica Cruz Guevara about police violence in the Solano County suburb of Vallejo. We're playing excerpts from the three-part series that she recently produced for The Bay, which is a podcast we make here at KQED, also home to the California Report. So Erica, as I'm listening to this, I'm hearing so much emotion from David um, and from other family members in this series who lost loved ones to, to violence. And you hear a lot of anger. You hear a lot of sorrow. What was it like to sit with people through this really emotional storytelling? And also, what was it like for you to take that in emotionally? It's a really hard thing to do because even if some of these family members had experienced the shootings and and um, the impact of them like months ago or even many years ago, watching them having to retell those stories is still so raw for them and so real. And it takes them back to the worst days of their lives. And you can you could just feel it. And it sounds like a lot of these families are still looking for answers. They're looking for a response from the police. Did the police talk to you? So the city actually made it really clear to me that it wasn't likely that the police department or any city leader would comment on any specific police shooting because of lawsuits that have been filed against the city. But I did find this video press release from three days after the shooting of Willie McCoy. I'm Andrew Bidu, the police chief. First and foremost, it's not lost on me or any member of our department that we're discussing a loss of life. Our condolences and prayers go out to the family of the deceased. The video went on to say that the officers didn't try to wake Willie up when they arrived on scene. They requested backup and they came up with this plan. Um, One officer would open the door while another grabbed this alleged handgun on Willie McCoy's lap. But police say that the doors were locked and that the car was in drive. So while they worked to block his car with two patrol cars, um, that's when they say Willie started to wake up. The driver looked at the officers, the officers began to yell commands to include, keep your hands up, show me your hands. The driver suddenly reached down for the firearm, and at this point, six officers fired the duty weapons at the driver. David Harrison, Willie McCoy's big cousin, really wonders if this is a narrative that he should believe and a narrative that he should trust. A couple of months after the shooting, Vallejo police released body camera footage from all six officers who were there that night. One of them shows literally the seconds leading up to the shooting. And it's really hard to see what's going on inside the car at the time, but the Vallejo Police Department point to this moment where they say Willie McCoy reached for the gun on his lap. For David, it's really important to him that he see that gun, and he doesn't in the video. And I watched all six body camera videos as well, and I didn't see a gun either. But Willie McCoy, you know, isn't the only 
young person of color who's been shot by police recently in Vallejo. Right, yeah. Uh, There have been 21 police shootings in Vallejo since 2005. And the interesting thing is, is that some of the officers involved in these shootings have been involved in more than one police shooting. One of the officers who shot William McCoy um, was involved in the shooting in 2018, the shooting of Ronald Foster. And Ronald Foster was shot after he was found riding a bike without a light in Vallejo. And the interesting thing is, is that in Vallejo, you know, there's no roadmap for activism in the same way that there is in Oakland and San Francisco, where when a police shooting happens, you know, people are on the streets. But really, these families have been so relentless, and they're really building um, momentum, in part because of these body camera videos, which has really changed the way that people have watched policing, not just in the Bay Area, but all over California and all over the country. There was another factor that really changed things in Vallejo specifically, which is that Vallejo filed for bankruptcy back in 2008. Vallejo was actually the first city of its size to file for bankruptcy in the state of California. State leaders have made it clear if there's one thing they want to avoid, it's what's happened in Vallejo, California, and their grueling three-year journey through the bankruptcy process. In 2008, the city had some really tough choices to make. Um, Most of the city's budget was made up of police and firefighter salaries and pensions and overtime. 80% of the city budget was its ballooning payroll. I talked with Osby Davis. He was the mayor of Vallejo for 10 years, including when Vallejo was bankrupt. And Davis says that negotiations with police and firefighters lasted all the way till the 11th hour before the city finally decided to file for bankruptcy. When I came into office, it was 126, and it went down to 77 police officers. We stopped putting any money into our streets and roads, no money into infrastructure, no raises for any employees. We were just in dire straits. And bankruptcy had real impacts for police officers on the ground. One sergeant who I spoke with told me that bankruptcy had an impact on training for police officers. For example, there was less firearms training. And when it comes to shooting, like you have to practice that every year. There were also less officers, which meant there were less officers to send to back you up when you're responding to a domestic violence call. And the sergeant told me that that meant that these officers were often going into situations really afraid. And he told me about this feeling among officers that bankruptcy was going to get someone killed. So after bankruptcy, it does seem like there was a spike in officer-involved shootings. Did you ask the city about that? Yeah. By 2012, there were six officer-involved shootings. That year alone, it was the deadliest year for police shootings in Vallejo. And, you know, city leaders like Osby Davis say that even when there are allegations of police misconduct, there is a public process that the that city leaders have to go through. You're just as concerned as the public is about any um, outcries of excessive force. Anybody is. But there is a process that you have to go through, and the public is never satisfied with that. Davis says it's important to communicate, though, with the families of people who are shot by police because he thinks it's important to, at the very least, acknowledge people's pain and recognize that it exists. If you don't do that, you end up with an us and them. It's the police department and it's the community. And really they are one because the police department is supposed to protect the community. Well, you don't have a whole lot of faith in the police department that don't talk to you at all about anything. And the only time you see them is when there's a crisis in your community. 
that does not foster a relationship. Erica, one of the things that I found fascinating in your reporting is this idea that if a police officer didn't grow up in the town, didn't go to high school there, doesn't have family there, they may be more likely to be involved in one of these shootings, more likely to pull the trigger more quickly. Yeah, that was really important to Melissa Nold, who is an attorney. She is a Vallejo native, and she's represented a lot of these families um, in Vallejo who have filed lawsuits against the city. We're worried about doing training on, on force when we really need to be tra- you know, doing training on getting to know the people in the communities and the sounds and the smells and the touches because it's very difficult just from a psychological perspective, it's very difficult to kill people that you know. You know, people that look like people that you know. It's very easy to kill the other. Since the series came out, I've been hearing a lot from Vallejo residents who say similar things, people who've been emailing me, messaging me um, on Twitter. And here is one Vallejo resident I talked with named Brian Farrell. No one acknowledges that we have a problem. So the chance of anything significant happening seems not just remote, it seems like it's impossible for there to be change. But the police chief that we heard from in that video press release retired this summer, right? So Vallejo's looking for a new police chief. Could that be an opportunity for change? Andrew Badu retired just this past June, and there definitely is a feeling among people in Vallejo that there's this new opportunity to really change the direction and the culture of the police department. And so families of people like Willie McCoy and Angel Ramos have really been showing up to City Hall to make sure that their voices and their needs are part of that conversation. And at a city council meeting in June, Alicia Sadler, who's the sister of Angel Ramos, told city councilors what she's looking for in a police chief. I have faith that you will choose a chief that will hold his officers accountable. And I beg and plead with you that you do the right thing. If you bring the right chief in, things can change. And our loved ones can get justice and nobody else's family will have to feel the pain that me and all these family members have to feel. So please, from the bottom of my heart, I know I come here and I yell and I scream, but it's because I'm hurt and you have the, you have the power to change that. So please, I'm begging you. Erica, as I listen to your stories, you know, Vallejo reminds me so much of other smaller suburban communities in California, places in the Central Valley, for example, where there are no ACLU chapters or watchdog groups. You know, there's not really the same infrastructure for communities to respond after a police shooting. What do you think other California cities can take away from Vallejo's experience? I think what's happening in Vallejo proves that it doesn't matter if you're a small city that we are in this sort of political moment where there are people and there are families who are willing to activate around issues of policing, even in cities that don't have that um, history of activism. And in fact, it wasn't just uh, the families of people who were shot and killed by police in, in these big cities who were standing behind Governor Gavin Newsom when he was signing Assembly Bill 392 this year, um, which aims to further restrict when officers can use deadly force. Willie McCoy's family was there. And it just proves that, you know, even if you're from one of these small cities, you can have influence, too. Thank you. 
Erica Cruz Guevara is producer for KQED's podcast, The Bay. You can listen to all three episodes in her series about police accountability in Vallejo if you subscribe to The Bay Podcast. And that's it for the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Devin Kariyama and Erica Aguilar edited the segments you heard from the Bay podcast. The California Report senior editor is Victoria Maleon, and Susie Racho directs our show. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, and we had additional engineering from Rob Spate. Our team also includes Asala Sanapur, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, go to earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.